All right, good morning, church. Good morning. It's wonderful to gather today in the presence of our Lord, isn't it? Amen. You know, I wondered if you'd uh, help me by putting your hands together as we welcome our campuses joining us today from New Milford, Waterbury, Derby, and online. You know, it's, it's good to remember that we're one church, right, with this calling to ignite a passion for Jesus in our world today. Um, you know, I just want to take a moment and just say on behalf of Craig and I, um, that it truly is an incredible honor and privilege to serve as your lead pastors. And uh, we have so much expectation for what God's going to do this next year. And I just want to underline what the elders have said, which is let's pray. And uh, so please go to the transition website today and sign up for that email so that we have these prompts every day and can pray together in unity. You know, this past September, we began our annual theme on Jesus. And our prayer for this whole year has been that each and every one of us would grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus than ever before. It's a bold prayer, isn't it? I wonder how your year has been going. Have you found yourself growing in the Lord at all? You know, back in September, when we kicked off our annual theme, um, we took our pastors and directors away on a retreat. And on that retreat, I felt led to share with them a time in my life when I grew further in relationship with the Lord than ever before. It's interesting, as I was sharing the testimony, I realized that it's part of my story that I don't often share. And it's not because it's secret or private, but actually I realized it's because it's very dear to my heart. I think I protect it in some way. I don't know if there's anything like that in your life that you protect. But it's interesting because after I shared my story, Becca and Brian and a few other staff came up and they said, we really feel like you need to share this with the whole church. Now I have to admit, I was a little bit hesitant about that. But over these months, I've been praying about it, and it felt right with me too. So today, in context with our scripture reading, I'm going to share with you some of my story. But before we go any further, would you join me in prayer? Father, you know that it's been my prayer that you would use your word and your story in me to unlock our hearts today. And so church, I just want to invite you right now, if it's your desire to hear from the Lord, if you want the Lord to move in your life today, just ask him to do that. Just say, Father, move in my life. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you now. You have full reign in our lives to do whatever you want to for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, I want to start today by having us open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. We're actually going to be picking up on where we left off last week, verses 16 and 17. Now, before I read it, I just want to remind you of the context here. So, Jesus... Um, had been resurrected. And the passage tells us that Mary and Mary have gone to the tomb expecting to find Jesus' body there. But instead, they find an angel. Imagine that. And the angel shares with them this good news. Jesus is not here. He's been risen. And then the angel gives them this instruction. Go back to the disciples and tell them to meet Jesus in Galilee. So Mary and Mary begin to run back, and on the way, they encounter Jesus. And Jesus says the exact same thing. Go back to the disciples. Tell them to meet me in Galilee. So Mary and Mary go back, and you might imagine what that conversation was like. You might imagine the questions they had, maybe the wonder that they had. But we know that they went and took that journey from Jerusalem to Galilee. And that would have taken four to five days of walking. Maybe you can imagine that. So we pick up here in verse 16 and 17. We read, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
You know, it's interesting. When you look at this passage, the temptation is to focus on the word doubt. I understand that. But it actually isn't the most important word. As I step back as an observer, this is what I see. Eleven disciples were in the presence of the living God, the risen Savior, the one from whom all things on heaven and earth, visible and invisible, had been created. They were in the presence of Jesus. And while some were fully worshiping him, others were not. It's interesting because they had all seen his miracles. They had all heard his teaching, including in Matthew 16, when he told them that he was going to be killed, and on the third day, he would rise again. They had followed him for years. They each had very personal experiences with Jesus. Yet here on the mountain, some were fully present in that moment, and others weren't. Why? What was it about the unique experiences of each of these disciples that would lead them in this moment on the mountain to respond in such different ways? You know, it's interesting. I've been on our Israel hiking trip, and we spend four to five days hiking 50 to 60 miles to the countryside of Israel. It is beautiful. I want to tell you two things. One, you have a lot of time to talk with each other. And two, you have a lot of time to think to yourself. I have to ask myself, on this journey from Jerusalem to Galilee, what had they been talking about? Maybe the better question is, what had they been personally thinking about? Could that have had any impact on the individual disciples' response to Jesus when they saw him? Maybe. Or what was it about the spiritual dynamic in that moment on the mountaintop that caused some people to waver in faith, even in the presence of God, and miss the beauty of this moment? And the, things, the thing is that these were his disciples. These were the most devoted followers. These are folks who would go on to live faithfully for Jesus, and many of them would actually give their lives for him. And so as I studied this passage, this question of why just coming back to my mind. Why did some miss the moment to fully worship Jesus? Maybe the better question for us today is this. Is it possible for you and me to be in the presence of Jesus and miss an opportunity to fully worship him? Is it possible for you and me to be in the presence of Jesus and miss an opportunity to fully worship him? And what does it even mean to fully worship Jesus anyway? You know, in this season of Walnut Hill, I wanna tell you that I am convicted and convinced that this subject of worship is on the Lord's heart for us as a community. I believe he wants to take us further than we've ever gone before. So I want to lean into this subject of worship, all right? Does that sound good? All right, let's go. Let's dive in. You know, the word here used in Matthew 28 for worship is proskuneo. Can you say proskuneo? That was pretty good. Let's hear it again. Proskuneo. That was very good. Proskuneo is an expression of profound reverence, of differential respect. You know, it often involves kneeling or laying prostrate before the person you want to pay special honor to. In our culture today, about the only time I ever see anyone on their knees is if they're wanting to make a huge impression to the love of their life before they ask them to marry them, right? But here in this moment, this is exactly what the disciples were doing. They were worshiping. They were expressing profound reverence to Jesus. This word proskuneo appears 60 times in the New Testament. The wise men worshiped baby Jesus, proskuneo. Satan asked Jesus to worship him, proskuneo. 
The leper worshiped Jesus when he was healed. Proskuneo. You know, proskuneo is mentioned 22 times in the book of Revelation alone. Listen to this example. I want you to picture this happening one day in the heavens. Scripture says, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. It's an awesome picture, isn't it? I can see the elders falling down in the presence of Jesus. You know, Jesus also used the word proskuneo when he spoke with the Samaritan woman in John 4. He said, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, God is spirit, and they that want to express profound reverence to him must do so in spirit and truth. This is significant teaching. I love the way that Jesus challenges us. See, it's not about where we worship. I think we all get that. It's also not about the specific activity of worship. In other words, you can get on your knees and, putting, and be putting on the greatest show you've ever put on before, right? It's because worship is not about a specific act. It's the attitude and expression of our hearts before the living God. Worship is the expression of our, and the attitude of our hearts before the living God. This is why I love Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus is giving like a master class on worship when he talks about love. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. See, worship has to be wholehearted. Did you catch that word all? All your heart, all your mind, all your strength. There's nothing left on the table. It's all. And because of that, it has to be sincere. It can't be faked. You know, you can fake a lot of things in life, but by definition, you can't fake worship. Doesn't that sound like a good tweet? You can fake a lot of things in life, but you can't fake worship. That's because worship is an act of reverence in the reality of the living God. You know, it involves our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. In a moment's notice, we might be overcome with gratitude. When we recognize that every good gift comes from above, James chapter 1, and we direct our gratitude to the Lord, we step into worship, proskuneo. When we gather as a community in the name of Jesus and use our strength to distribute food to those in need, we step into worship, proskuneo. When we choose not to linger on thoughts that aren't from the Lord, instead we devote our minds to what is pure and right and the things of Jesus, we enter into worship, proskuneo. When we join together in unity and express our love to God through song, using our heart and our spirit, we enter into worship, proskuneo. When we give our tithes and our offerings to the Lord out of reverence, that's worship, proskuneo. What does worship look like in your life right now? Are you holding back? Are you faking it? Are you missing moments to fully worship Jesus? You know, church, we were created to worship. We'll get into that another day. But our hearts are always looking for something or someone to worship. Somewhere to focus our affection. Somewhere to focus our admiration. Somewhere to derive our identity from. This can be a person, a job, a hobby, a dream, a passion, a desire, even ourselves. What has your highest esteem right now? 
You know, so often we end up worshiping God's greatest gifts to us. But what has your highest esteem right now in your life? I want you to listen to Exodus 20, verse 3. These are words from the Lord to the people of Israel. You shall have no other gods before me. How about Exodus 34, verse 14? Do not worship any other god, for the god whose name is Jealous is a jealous god, Elkanah. Are there areas in your life that you need to freshly surrender to the Lord and ask him for help in so that you can be freed to fully worship him, that the Lord could take the full place of affection in your life and other things in life could fall back in balance? Church, there's a personal calling upon each one of us to offer wholehearted, undistracted, profound reverence to the Lord every day of our lives. And there's a personal calling, a corporate calling upon us as a church to gather weekly and worship the Lord wholeheartedly. What distracts us from doing that? You know, I want to share with you some of my story. I came to the Lord at the age of five. My father had surrendered his life to the Lord just a few years earlier in the midst of a life crisis. And when he surrendered to Jesus, his life was radically transformed. And he became like an overnight evangelist. So much so that my mom gave her life to Jesus, my older brother, then myself, then my younger brother, eventually my grandparents and other, extended, uh, other members of our extended family. I would remember that my dad would often come home from work and tell us these stories about how God had given op him opportunities to share Jesus with other people. And some of them were the most miraculous stories I remember. So here we were as a family of young believers and we began to attend church weekly. I want to tell you that the Lord used his church to change the trajectory of our family's life forever. And I'm so grateful. It's interesting because at the same time, at the age of five, my parents noticed I had this interest in music. I have this very clear memory around five years old of going to a small group meeting with my family. It was in Casagmo Condominiums in Richfield. I remember being there and I put my hand on their piano and it was like magical. Maybe a better word is heavenly, right? I remember at that time, I'm told that I went to my parents and I said, can we get a piano too? And they said, if you save your money, you can get a piano and we'll pay for piano lessons. So as the story goes, I went to my neighbors and I asked for money. I did everything I could to save money. <laughs> yep. And eventually we bought that player piano. I look back now though and I realize that my parents spent far more money shipping the piano to our house from New Jersey than I actually spent buying that piano. But you know what? They got me lessons I began to play. I began to love music. Music was everything to me. <laughs> Hitting it big back then in the day. Um, but you know, meanwhile at church, I had a very different experience. You know, as a young boy now, I was listening to my parents' music. Hall and Oates, Billy Joel, Lionel Richie, Willie Nelson. Can you guess how old I am? <laughs> but I would come into church and we would open a book of hymns written 150 years ago. Hymns were so odd to me. Musically, they made no sense. Lyrically, I had no appreciation for them. And I have to admit that as a boy, I actually mocked the hymns. I'm really sad to say that I did that. But here I was as a boy, gathered with other Christ followers in the presence of God, and while others were worshiping him, I wasn't. In fact, I was oblivious to the moment. 
While I wasn't worshiping singing hymns, I was worshiping though. See, at that time, we were renting Brookfield High School as a church, and so a truck would pull up each week, and we would all get and take out the nursery equipment and the sound equipment. I would love doing that, and I knew I was doing it for the Lord. I was worshiping the Lord. I loved the God, but there was a huge disconnect in our worship services, and I was missing the blessing of worshiping as a corporate body. Now, I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, Adam, don't be so hard on yourself. You were just a boy. (laughs) And that's true, but you know that posture of not fully worshiping the Lord continued with me into my teen years, into my college years, and even into my young adult years. You know, when I look back now, I can see that I worshiped my girlfriend, Carrie, who's now my wife. Now, listen, she's an amazing woman. She's actually away this weekend. But um, she had taken the place of highest affection in my life, clearly. And then as I got into college and went into my career, my dreams in my career took the highest place of affection in my life. But then something changed. We had gone to college, Carrie and I, in Nashville. And after graduating, we stayed there. We were both kind of pouring ourselves into our careers. I was starting a music business with my brother, Jared, working tons of hours. Now, during that time, Carrie and I had always gone to the same church. This is a church that loved Jesus. It was growing. It was also a church where a lot of famous musicians and artists attended. I have to admit, that was probably one of the things that attracted me to it. But we would go to the worship services, and all I could hear was excellent music. And I was incredibly aware of all the famous people around. And in the back of my mind, I'm sure I was thinking, I know I was thinking, maybe the Lord will open up an opportunity for me to meet someone, and there'll be a breakthrough in my music career. During that time, we attended a small group for about two years, and we made some great friendships. But you know what? During that time, there was zero transformation in our lives. We would bring the same prayer requests, the same issues, every time. You know, it was around that time, about two years into our marriage, that Carrie and I looked at each other, and we said, there has to be more to life than this. Now, that's a strange thing to say when you're like 23 and 24 years old, but we said that to each other. It wasn't a statement of discontentment with our relationship. It was a statement of discontentment with life. I remember at that time I said to Carrie, I just want to go to a crazy church, the kind of church that sees the miracles my dad would tell me about as a kid, the kind of church where the living God is at work every week. I was on spiritual fumes, and I knew that. So we began to search for another church home. And I kid you not, in one mile in Nashville, you can count 18 churches, and so you could look for the rest of your life. (laughs) But gratefully, a person from out of state contacted us and they said, hey, there's this crazy church I know. It was the same word. I said, perfect, let's go. (laughs) And so I can still remember the first time that we attended Bounding Grace. It was meeting in an elementary school, just like Walnut Hill had started. I think that really made an impression on me. And we walked in, we were greeted so warmly. And then as the service went on and the worship started, I felt in my heart that there was something absolutely wrong with this church. Now, it's interesting because I looked and there were a few more hands raised in worship, but I knew that wasn't it. There was a little bit more swaying as the worship was going on. I knew that wasn't it. I kid you not, but I began to study the lyrics on the screen, just knowing that I was going to find a theological error, but I never found it. That wasn't it. The pastor came up and began to preach about Jesus. It was perfect. Nothing was wrong. Carrie and I began to come back to this church even though I had this feeling that something wasn't right. 
And each week we would hear the most amazing testimonies. I remember a time a man had uh, shared his faith with someone on the street and the person surrendered to Jesus, gave up drugs, came to church that Sunday and they were baptized right then. I remember testimonies of people that would get up on the stage and share that they had been delivered even from things like pornography. I remember this van that would pull up by the church and all these hippies would get out, come into church and worship alongside business people. It was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. But all the while, I had this sense in my heart that something was wrong. And then one day, it all came to me. I felt the Lord speak to me so clearly. It was this, this knowing in my heart. And I felt the Lord say to me, you feel uncomfortable here because everyone is worshiping me and you aren't. In other words, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Did you catch that Taylor Swift reference? You can't help it when you're a musician. You just see those things. But I knew it was true. You know, something happens when you're in the room of people wholeheartedly worshiping Jesus, not wondering when the service is going to be over, not wondering what they're going to have for lunch, not realizing that the guitar is out of tune, which it wasn't today, by the way. But the presence of the Lord was so strong in that room that I was feeling conviction. All that time, my discomfort had been the Lord trying to get my attention and I had completely missed it. You know, even though I had that revelation, things didn't change right away. But I remember a Sunday that I came to church with a burden on my heart. I had some business decisions to make, and so after the service, they had prayer servants up front, just like we do. And I looked and I saw a man that looked friendly and approachable. And so I went up to him nervously and I told him a little bit of what was going on. He began to pray for me in such a powerful way. He was not talking to me. He was talking to the Lord and interceding. And he knew things about my situation that I hadn't told him. It really, really blessed me. Carrie and I began to attend the church prayer meetings. We went through a prayer training. And eventually I decided to go through a restorative prayer session. We have those in the church. It's when you can go and be prayed for by a few prayer servants and you share about the challenges in your life and you share the sin in your life and they pray for you. And I tell you, I saw incredible breakthrough in my life at that time. Shortly after that, we were in church and they announced that they needed help winding up sound cables after church. Now, if you remember, this is something I had done as a boy. I had done this for years, but I had taken an extended break from doing anything like that. I had told myself I was too busy. But also, if we're being honest, I was looking to become a world-famous arranger and producer and artist. What would it look like if I were to wind up sound cables after church? How ridiculous, right? But in that moment, I responded to that call. I went forward. I want to tell you, something was broken in my life. This God of career and dreams just broke before the Lord. And he reassumed that place that he needed to be in my life. You know, after that moment, we made more friends in church than you could possibly imagine. And I remember when they asked me if I joined the worship team, and I just played keyboards in the back. I tell you, I learned so much about how to wholeheartedly worship Jesus in that context. You know, I wrote this in my journal. In that season, I learned to wholeheartedly worship God. I learned the beauty of corporate worship. I no longer felt uncomfortable in services, but had this incredible freedom and desire to express my heart to God as we sang together. I was forever changed. You know, church, as we seek to go further in our relationship with Jesus than ever before, I am convinced that that will not happen until we see breakthrough in our corporate worship. In fact, I think we're going to keep hitting a ceiling. I believe that there's an invitation today for each and every one of us 
who want to respond, to see the Lord put at the highest place of affection in our lives, that we would experience freedom and be able to worship him with whole hearts. You know, uh, for the remaining portion of the service, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm actually going to lead in a time of worship, and we're going to do this across all of our campuses. So I want to invite our campus worship leaders to come forward, and I'm going to invite Laura Gordon to come out as well. And, uh, you know, as we sing, um, I want to share with you some of the tips that I've learned on how to worship the Lord fully. And uh, I just want to invite you to join us and um, just enjoy this moment as I get my cords untangled. So uh, I just invite you that you have an open heart as we do this. So one of the lessons that I learned in that time period um, came out of Psalm 100. It's when David shared this um, really simple and profound truth that says, we enter God's presence with thanksgiving. It's a wonderful thing when we learn to get up in the morning and begin to thank the Lord. Or when we drive in our car and we actually think about the things we can praise God for, who he is and all he's done in our life. Even coming to church before the service starts and beginning to just thank the Lord. It changes your life. And so in 2004, we were opening a prayer room here at the church and we were gonna be praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I was here one night praying one of those hour blocks all alone in the church. And there was an acoustic guitar across the room. And I just picked it up and I began to sing. And this song just came out as a prayer reflection. And I'm gonna sing it to you and as I do, I just want to ask that you would in your seat quietly begin to thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for who he is and all he's done. Thank you, Lord, for you created me. Thank you, Lord, I'm wonderfully made. Beside me, and you'll never leave. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
I sat there in that room, I wrote this next verse, and I just want to tell you about the lyrics. I wrote, thank you, Lord, that you don't forget me. I think when you're alone in a church late at night, (laughs) you feel forgotten. And then I wrote, you never doubt me, but you believe in me. Let me tell you what that was about. You know, there are times in your life where the Lord asks you to do something that's just far beyond your experience or your abilities. And you feel like you can't do it. But you remember that um, God asked Moses to go and talk to Pharaoh. And Moses said the same thing. He said, I can't speak. Send someone else. And the Lord said, Moses, I am with you. And so um, when the Lord calls us to do something, he believes in us. And that was just important to me at that time. And then I wrote, you call me worthy, worthy of your life. Now we know that only Jesus is worthy, right? But while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. It's like he was saying, you are worth my life. You are worth dying for. Maybe you need to hear that today. The Lord loves you. And the last line was, now I shine so brightly, fill this room with your light. It was my declaration to say, Lord, use me. So if you want to sing this with me, you can. Let me just sing it now. Thank you, Lord, that you don't forget me. And you never doubt me. But you believe in me. And you call me worthy. Worthy of your life. Now I shine so brightly I'll fill this room with your you to stand at this time actually and uh, I'm going to share with you another tip that I learned in the season this one's so simple that you could probably just miss it altogether but you know some songs are written I call them horizontally while other songs are written vertically and here's what I mean some songs are written about the Lord I call those horizontal songs because we sing them to one another we sing them to ourselves uh, today we sang these lyrics all hail King Jesus All hail the Lord of heaven and earth. All hail King Jesus. It's a powerful declaration when we sing that in unity as a church. It's a horizontal song. Other songs that are written about theology and they remind us of who God is. Some songs are like response songs. Come to the altar. But then there are songs that are vertical songs. These are songs that are written to the Lord. They're really like sung prayers. And in that season of my life where the Lord changed me, these were my favorite songs. They still are today. They changed my life. 
Because when we can sing a song directly to the Lord, wow, watch out, right? And sometimes I think we come to church and we get it wrong because we come in and we just start singing the lyrics and the song's written to the Lord and we're just singing them out. It's almost like a choir rehearsal, right? What's, what's the point of doing that? So I just want to encourage you to be really sensitive to the kind of lyrics we're singing. And when they're sung to the Lord, wow, sing them out. Um, we're going to sing a hymn called Holy, Holy, Holy. Later in my life, I learned to love the hymns. Um, this is one by Reginald Hepper. It's based on Revelation chapter 4. You might remember this verse. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And Reginald wrote this. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning, our song shall rise to thee. Did you catch that? That's a vertical song. We're singing, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning, our song shall rise to thee. So as we sing that, I want you to sing it directly to the Lord. I also want to give you another tip, which is when you sing a song, make sure you know the lyrics that you've internalized them because if you just sing words what good is that right and so in this song when we sing holy 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 did you know that holy means pure blameless worthy and so we're saying lord you are pure you are worthy let's sing this together church holy holy instrumental music happens it's not time to just listen to pretty music but it's actually an invitation to begin to talk to the Lord about what he's saying to you maybe you want to pray maybe you want to listen maybe you just want to receive and I want to ask you right now what has the highest affection in your life what has the highest affection in your life just begin to talk to God about that. And if it's something else, just say, Lord, 
I want you to be there. Just talk to God for a minute. So Lord, we just come now and we say we want you to be the highest place in our lives. And Lord, we say we're so sorry if something's taken that spot. So I pray, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would come now and reorder our lives supernaturally. If there are things that need to be broken off in our lives, God, do that now. Bring balance into our lives. We thank you for the gifts you've given us. But Lord, may they never take the place of you. A songwriter and friend of Walnut Hill named Graham Kendrick was asked to write a song for a big Christian conference in the UK. And that particular year, it was on the book of Philippians. And so uh, Graham went to prayer, and uh, out of that came the song, Knowing You, Jesus. Now, Graham's like an incredible songwriter, so the verses are actually very theological deep, theologically deep. But when you get to the chorus, it just says, Knowing You, Jesus, there is no greater thing. It switches to a vertical song. You catch that? And so as we sing this, I just want to invite you to sing these lyrics to the Lord. Good night. 
season when the Lord was uh, changing me, I started to come to church early. And uh, I came to church early because um, I didn't want to miss a moment to be in the presence of the Lord. And because I didn't want to miss a moment of what God was going to do in his church. Now listen, this could easily sound like I'm condemning you, but I'm not. I wonder if in this next season of Walnut Hill, we could all begin to come to church even early. So that when we begin to worship, we're all together in one heart, in one spirit, praising our Lord Jesus. And listen, I have kids. I know what it's like to be late. No condemnation upon you. Hear that me say that to you. No condemnation on anyone here, okay? But maybe we're going to come to church and just experience him in a new way, and we're not going to want to miss that. One last tip. I also learned just the beauty of physical expressions of worship. You know, done in the right spirit, physical expressions of worship can bring incredible like reverence to the Lord. I'm talking about standing, raising hands, kneeling, clapping, shouting, dancing, laying prostrate before the Lord. These are all expressions that are actually found in the Bible. And uh, today I just want to talk to you about the raising of hands because... Um, I began to notice when people were raising their hands that I was feeling envious of them because I thought to myself, Lord, I don't think I love you enough. I don't feel that kind of emotion to raise my hands. And then I went to the Bible and I saw that David raised his hands in worship and Solomon raised his hands and Ezra raised his hands and Jeremiah raised his hands. And then the apostle Paul even said, it's my desire that everyone would raise their hands to the Lord. And then it hit me. I don't have to raise my hands out of deep emotion necessarily. I can raise my hands because out of my mind, I want to say, Lord, you are the only one who gets my hands raised. You are that good. I want to express my heart to you. And so as we sing this next song, I just want to say there's freedom here in this church to express yourself. Okay. And uh, in this chorus, it says, all my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you've been so, so good. 
Maybe you just want to try out something you've never done before in your life, and you just want to try raising your hands to the Lord. Again, listen, none, none of this guilt stuff, there'll be nothing like this in this church, okay? If you want to put your hands in your pocket right now, please do that, okay? Um, but let's just close together as we sing this song, The Goodness of God. Thank you. 